It is an absolute privilege and an honor to introduce this lady to you. She is not only a co-worker, a cohort, and a colleague, but she is a warrior in Christ, and you will know that. Uh, through the last five years at the shelter that we serve on a regular basis, this year has been one of the most dynamic years. I've worked there five years, and it's real. It's raw. And, um, you know, we have to blanket ourselves with the blood of Jesus every day. At least I do, because it's it's it, we need to know you guys. We need to know what the, you know, other side has got up against God's people. And um, in a devotional I read this, it is stated that the enemy will attack you, but it is time to fight back and don't give in. Uh, remember who you are and who you serve and how big our God really is. And um, in the world of techno-savvy, garble of everything that's out there, um, it's scary. And we need to know and we need to rise up. And uh, will you please stand to your feet and help me introduce, it is a privilege and honor, Aaliyah Ewing. All right, I just needed to scoot over. Thank you. Like we said, welcome to Bridge Church this morning. I'm so honored to be here today to speak with you. Um, and like Christy said, or Jean said, I will be speaking about sex trafficking. It is an issue that is very close to my heart because it's not talked about enough, and there are many myths and conceptions out there. So before we begin, before we begin, it is important to me to include God while I speak to you today, not only because it's Sunday morning church, but because God is the only one that can move mountains and sex trafficking is a really big mountain. So, who am I? Like they said, my name is Aaliyah. I'm 24. I got married when I was 20. No kids yet, but I do have two lizards. And when I was 17, I learned about sex trafficking for the first time in a church just like this one. And what shocked me the most when I first learned about sex trafficking was how devastating it is to the people's lives who are involved in it but that not enough people were talking about it, and it was the first time in my life that I've heard of it before. So what is sex trafficking? There are many different definitions out there, and not all of them are right, and I want you guys to know what the correct definition is. But before I give you the definition, I wanted to give you two quotes that, in my opinion, can't really begin to sum up how devastating sex trafficking can be, but it's a start. So the first quote comes from Kevin Bales, who is an author and modern abolitionist. And an abolitionist is a term used to refer to people currently in the fight against sex trafficking. Kevin says, slavery is not a horror confined to the past. It continues to exist in today's world, throughout the world, even in developed countries. Across the world, slaves work and sweat and build and suffer. The next quote comes from Margot Gray, and Margot Gray is a sex trafficking survivor. Margot says we are failing because we have not identified human trafficking as the public health issue that it is. You see, trafficking is not a short-term affliction. It affects a victim's whole life, families, and even entire communities. So I have two definitions here for you today, and the first one comes from Oxford Dictionary. Oxford Dictionary defines sex trafficking as the action or practice of illegally transporting people from one country or area to another for the purpose of sexual exploitation. The next definition comes from Shared Hope International. And Shared Hope International is a nonprofit, non-governmental Christian organization that is involved in the worldwide effort to eradicate sex trafficking. Shared Hope International defines sex trafficking as it occurs when someone uses force, 
fraud, or coercion to cause a commercial sex act with an adult or causes a minor to commit a commercial sex act. One of these definitions is wrong, and I'm guessing you know that it's not Shared Hope International's definition. Oxford Dictionary is wrong because trafficking does not need to involve the transportation of people from one country or area to another, and there is no legal definition of trafficking that involves the movement of people. Kelly Dorr is a woman that I got to hear speak at the 2018 Sex Trafficking Conference. It's put on by Shared Hope International every year. And Kelly Dorr was trafficked before the age of one by her father and that her father would have buyers come to her own home. The AMP model was created so that it's a little bit easier for people to understand when trafficking may be occurring or if you know somebody who may be experiencing trafficking. So AMP stands for Action, Means, and Purpose. And the AMP model for the definition is trafficking occurs when a trafficker takes an action, then employs the means of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of compelling a victim to commit a commercial sex act or for labor and services. So to break that down, that means that trafficking occurs when a trafficker takes the action of inducing, recruiting, harboring victims, obtaining victims, or providing victims. And then they, they employ the means of force, which could be physical, fraud, so they're pretending to be somebody they're not in order to trick the victim, or through coercion. And after they employ the means, it is for the purpose of causing the victim to commit a commercial sex act or for labor and services. And one thing to note is that when it comes to minors, force, fraud, and coercion do not need to be present because a minor is not in control of their own life. Sex trafficking is a market-driven criminal industry. And there is a demand. And because of the demand, there is a supply. And there are people willing to provide the supply. The demand, first and foremost, comes from buyers. And buyers want what they see in the increasingly sexual TV and movies and entertainment that is out there. And buyers want what they see. And if they can't buy it, or if they can't get it in their personal life, they can buy it. And because of this, and because of the increasing demand, there are more people willing to supply the demand, and traffickers are finding more ways to get victims and to trick victims. So when it comes to sex trafficking, there are three key elements, and the first of those is the trafficker. So a trafficker can be referred to as many different things. And I know when I first learned about sex trafficking, I had an idea in my head of what a trafficker or what a pimp probably looked like, as I'm sure many people probably do. But all a trafficker is, is a person that cares about, the, or that cares about their own revenue more than they care about another person. So that means a trafficker could be absolutely anybody. It could be a well-dressed, polite businessman. It could be a gang member. It could be your family. Where do traffickers find their victims? Well, it could be in social circles. There are traffickers that have victims that go to school. And in school, the traffickers are having the victim recruit other people. So that could be in middle schools or in high schools. It could be bars and clubs, just because of the nature of bars and clubs. It could be on the internet, which has become one of the number one ways in 2020 and 2021 to find and traffic victims. Where do they traffic victims to? It could be all of those same places. They could be trafficked through truck stops, 
hotels, motels, escort services. At that same 2018 Just Faith Sex Trafficking Conference, I had the honor of hearing Rebecca Bender speak, and she is a survivor leader, just like Kelly Dorr. Rebecca Bender had a boyfriend in Oregon who convinced her that it would be so amazing and their life would be so great if they moved to Las Vegas and they would make so much money and they would be so happy. And the first night that they got to Las Vegas, they took her child, her trafficker slapped her, her first her boyfriend, now her trafficker, and told her tonight was the night that she was gonna start selling her body. So escort services can be seen as legal, but it could be just trafficking. How? How do traffickers convince these victims or survivors to first get into sex trafficking and then to stay in sex trafficking? Well, some traffickers will use their privilege, wealth, and power as a means of control, like we just saw with Jeffrey Epstein. Or they could use the promise of fame, like we just saw with R. Kelly, who was promising those girls that they were gonna be singers. It could be anything, family, love, or protection, because a trafficker is aimed at targeting what their victim's needs are, and they're very good at finding out what their victim's needs are. There is very little risk for traffickers when it comes to trafficking. The second element when we talk about trafficking are the buyers. Who are the buyers? Just like traffickers, they can be anyone, and they can be referred to as trick, punter, or john. Like Jean said last week, feelings do not equal facts, which means a buyer could be your 20-year-old son or grandson. It could be your 75-year-old neighbor or grandfather. It could be a truck driver, a teacher, a woman, an officer of the law, because a person is a person and not their occupation. I was a preschool teacher and a nanny and people in both those professions have been arrested for sex trafficking. I'm currently attending the Metro Citizens Police Academy. I've spoken to those police officers because police officers have been arrested for sex trafficking in the past. This is a quote from a UK punter, and he said, she said no, sorry, what do you mean no? This is what I paid for. And this victim was violated for 30 euros, which converts to about $34.80. When asked, traffickers said there were two things, or buyers said there were two things that would make them stop. Number one was being arrested and charged, so actually having consequences for their actions. And number two was being publicly shamed and exposed. And the common thread between those things is that the person would be exposed for what they're doing. And if they can be exposed, they can also be arrested and charged. The third and the most important key element when it comes to trafficking are the victim survivors. Because they are the people that do not want to be there and they are being forced to be there. Just like traffickers and just like buyers, victims can be absolutely anyone because all it takes are certain risk factors to make people vulnerable. And those risk factors could be migration and recent location, or recent relocation, because then you are unlikely to know maybe the language or your legal rights in the new place you're living. It could be substance abuse, because your trafficker is the only one that you can get your drugs from. It could be mental health concerns, 
because if you are not as easily able to identify the warning signs that somebody may not have the best intentions for you, then it's easier to fall prey. Involvement with the child welfare system, being a runaway, or being homeless are all things that can make somebody more vulnerable. Because if those things are happening to you, that probably means that your home life is unstable. So you could be looking for love or protection. So when somebody comes along offering it, even if, it, if it's not what true love and true protection is, you might not know that and it would look good to you. Or maybe you know that it's not what true love or protection looks like, but you think this is the only person or the only way that you're gonna get any kind of love or protection. You could be economically vulnerable and you're a mom and you have no, or you think there's no other way to have money to provide for your children. Or maybe you're a kid and you're the only one that can provide for your parents and your siblings. A vast majority of victim survivors are in the developing world and it is not uncommon for parents to sell their children for maybe money, drugs, or items of value. Trafficking is a hidden crime, and because of that, it is really hard to identify victims. And there's no way that I could give you a list and say, if a victim checks off, or if a person checks off all these boxes, that that means that they're being trafficked. It's not possible. But maybe if you're close to this person, you might be able to notice some of these signs that say, hey, maybe something's going on with this person, and it could be trafficking. So you may notice the victim's emotions are a roller coaster, and they're just going up and down. Because if you're thrust into a world that maybe you've never heard about, probably couldn't imagine, and you might sometimes be going home from that world every day and need to act normal, or maybe you're thrust into that world and you don't get to go home, and your life is just on a 180 without any warning. Maybe they'll have different friends that now they're not introducing to their current friends or their family because they need to be secret with this person. Or maybe now this person is secret with their communication. So whenever they're getting a text message or a phone call, they're leaving the room because they can't talk in front of you and they don't want you to know what they're talking about. Or maybe as soon as they're getting a text or a phone call, they're leaving the house because that's their trafficker telling them, now it's time to go sell your body. They may have a controlling figure in their life who will not allow them to speak to other people, who's isolating them, because this, the trafficker doesn't want the victim to be talking to the people who would most easily be able to identify that something's going on with this person. This controlling figure may monitor who they speak to or their every move. Victims frequently do not seek help due to language barriers or fear of their traffickers or even fear of law enforcement. I read a book, and it was called Slave Girl, written by Sarah Forsyth. She was trafficked to Amsterdam in the red light district. And in the red light district, they stand in boxes, and the buyers can walk around and look through the windows and decide who they want to buy. One night, seven police officers walked into Sarah's window, and they were all buyers, because these police officers they had a pact with the traffickers where they could be buyers for free, and then the traffickers had no consequences for their actions. Those without education are especially attractive to traffickers because just like people who have recently migrated or relocated, they are unlikely to know their legal rights 
or how to get help. This is a quote from a trafficking survivor. And this person was met by Benjamin Nalo, who is the founder of Exodus Cry, an anti-trafficking organization. She said, I felt empowered. People wanted to buy me. I had value. And the survivor's explanation for this was that she had been groomed by her trafficker, or by their culture, long before she had been groomed by her trafficker, which means that her culture had taught her was that her body was worth something. And that if men wanted her body, or just wanted her for what she looked like, that that meant that she had value. Freedom is for everyone. Last week, Pastor Jean shared the Bible verse 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Since I was 17 and I spent all these years researching and listening to survivor stories because I wanted to learn and know more, a common thread between all these survivor stories, something that they would pretty much all say, was that I'm all alone, no one's coming to help me, and no one's going to save me. And God is the only one that can give them hope. And we know that trafficking and being used and being a slave was never in God's plan for them. Because what God promised them was what Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, and they are plans for good, and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And so that's why what I want to do is raise awareness. I want to be the hands and feet of God to let people know what sex trafficking is, because the more people know, the more people might want to do something. And that's the only way that we can help and we can be the hands and feet of God to help rescue these victims. Some of you might know Torin Wells, who was a worship singer, and he wanted to know what he could do to help fight sex trafficking, and he was racking his brain, trying to figure out what he could do. And he was talking to Tim Tebow, and Tim Tebow told him to write a song. So Torin Wells wrote a song, and every time this song is streamed, money is donated to the, team, or to the Tim Tebow Foundation. And one of the goals of the Tim Tebow Foundation is to end sex trafficking. So I'll let you guys listen to the song. You know, her talking, I'm going to have you actually come up here because I saw something on your slide you didn't share. <laughs> we believe here, as we said before, everyone was created on purpose and for a purpose. But one question I want to have for you and I want you to kind of answer is where did that passion begin for you to start really digging into this? I want you to share you for a moment with us, not just some statistics. Because I know your heart is really about doing this, and it's about your heart breaking for them. Um, so when I was 17 in a church like this, that's when my passion started because I have felt trapped in my life before because I've been through domestic violence. And so relating in a way of feeling trapped, and obviously not as trapped as they feel, but just knowing how bad that feels and then thinking about what's happening to them every day, which is only pain. And knowing that it's really hard to identify it, it's really hard to identify the traffickers 
and to find these women, and it's very hard to charge the traffickers. Injustice is just something that since I've been a kid, I really, I can't stand it. And so that's what these girls are going through, and there needs to be justice. Um, traffickers need to be prosecuted. And these women and these men and these children, they deserve so much more. So that's where my passion started. <laughs> okay, so you can stay there so I don't trip again. Um, so it's, it started with just a passion of, of wanting to see justice. And there's a movie, as an older movie called uh, Amazing Grace, the William Wilberforce story. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this. He had gotten to the point where he wanted to abolish slavery in England. And he was on the parliament, and he was going back and forth, do I follow God or do I work in politics? Do I follow God, what God? And somebody actually said to him once is, why can't you do both? And I say that because the job she has isn't just a job she has to do what she does, but she can do both that and help and do what God's called her to do. And I say that to encourage you guys that just because you have, and again, don't separate sacred and holy. Because if you're doing it, it's holy if God's called you to do it. It doesn't matter what kind of job it is. There's no difference. And so that passion you're feeling for that, do you ever get to that point where you just kind of get angry and because you, you feel so overwhelmed? And how do you deal with that? It's with something like sex trafficking, it is really easy to become overwhelmed. But what I know is that it's, it's not really my job to save these girls. It's God's job. And through me and through other people, God's using us to save them. And I know that I can't move mountains, like I said, right? But God can. So just knowing that he's going to do it and he is what it all comes down to, that is how I get through those times where I just get so mad or so overwhelmed. Because this is something where there's like, I believe, over 40 million victims. And it makes billions of dollars a year, and they call it an industry. So it is way bigger than any one person or what any one person can do. So your faith is a big part of how you deal with it. 100%. That's, in my opinion, that's one of the only ways. Because if you don't have that other hope, then, you know, how do you, how do you feel like you're really making a difference? That's kind of how I feel. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'll let you go now. So I don't put you on the spot anymore. <laughs> Again, I, I had her come forward to share that, to, to get you guys to grasp the fact that what God is calling you to do is important. Where you're at, the job you have today is important. God's got you where he's got you for a reason. But don't ever let it minimize what you think God can do through it. Because as, as, as we were sharing and as she was sharing and I was sitting back there listening to her and, and thinking about the different things and the different things I get angry about, how we don't see you know, we know God can do stuff, and, and why, why are we struggling with this? And I know the statistics are crazy for Minnesota for sex trafficking, if you want to look them up. And the small towns you think it's not happening in is actually some of the biggest places it's happening in Minnesota. And so it's not something that's, again, going to a third-world country or going to a developing country. It's happening in our own backyards. And so that's why I was asking, you know, how do you not get angry with that? And, 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 and basically, again, turning that over to the faith of the brokenness for what breaks God's heart. Again, we can't do this on our own, but we have a God who can. And so we got to learn to trust him and connect with each other. And so I'm going to take the last couple minutes, Sean. I'm going to have you come up and play something just real light, and this is going to be the, the dismissal song. But take a couple minutes this morning to just pray and ask God to start breaking your heart for what's breaking his, and where can you help? 
whether it's talking to Aaliyah to get more information on sex trafficking, whether it's helping out kids who, who may only have one parent or a parent that's not around so you can be a, a, you know, a big brother, big sister to help them out. Maybe it's your neighbor who just needs some help with something. Again, there are always places we can all go to do something. And God has a vision and a mission for each one of you that's far beyond anything you can think or imagine. The number one place, though, I would probably start to pray is, God, how can you use me where I'm at in my job? Because he's got you there for a reason. To touch the people and to change the atmosphere of where you're at. It's great to come together on Sunday mornings because we all kind of think alike. We all believe in Jesus, and then we go to our jobs, and 90% of them don't want nothing to do with Jesus. But Jesus says you are the salt and the light. When you let him come in, you are carrying the hope of the world. And so you have the opportunity to change atmospheres.